Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Close Talking. I am your co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I'm your co-host Connor McNamara-Stratton. And we are here today to talk about yet another fantastic poem. As always, we read the poem, we talk about the poem, and then we read the poem again. Uh, Today's poem is Some of Your Love With Me for Aretha Franklin by Ada Lamone. People were sharing lots of poems in the wake of Aretha Franklin's recent passing, and this is the one that really got me. Uh, There were a lot that were very, very good, but this was the one that really resonated with me, hence my choice. Um, Before we talk about the poem, though, obviously a little bit about Ada Lamont, she has written five books of poetry. Her 2015 book, Bright Dead Things, was a finalist for the National Book Award and a top 10 New York Times book of the year in the category of poetry. Uh, And her latest book, The Carrying, just came out earlier in August for Milkweed Editions. So if you like what you hear here, because this poem's about 10 years old, definitely check those out and uh, hear a little bit more of her poetry because she's a really quite accomplished and fascinating poet. Yeah, she's really great. I have Bright Dead Things, and it's a marvelous book. It has that one poem um, that's about, uh, I think it went viral in some kind of way. It's um, How to Triumph Like a Girl. Um, And anyway, we won't get into that because it's not the poem of the episode, but it's a great poem. And it's the first poem of the Bright Dead Things um, collection, which is really great. Also through Milkweed. Yeah, no, that that book is fantastic. Yeah, so this is not a particularly long poem, but I think it really packs a punch. So let's dive right in. I also think it's a, a really deep poem in terms of the layers at which it's operating. So I'm excited to, to dig into it. Um, so this is Some of Your Love With Me for Aretha Franklin. Miles of vinyl highways spun out, and steady round we went. Your first note, boiled over and tough in its tender bends, broke a ten-year-old kneeling on a tile floor in two. Your record aching round, stunned, plummeted, and dunked me under a sound that seized hold of my poor forming bird-shell body, who would not even dare, dear diva, to mouth your silence. Me, I became the shaking speaker, all my hairs like lungs, thin cilia, waving in a whir of song that I would have gone back and begged to be born in. This poem is so good. It's really good. It's very hard to read. I read it aloud to myself <laughs> uh, after I read it the first time, and it. there are certain parts of it, uh, poor forming bird shell body, uh, is like so cool and so great, um, but can be a little bit, a little bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. The the sentences and the lines, the way that they're working together, um, are often very confusing. Deliberately, I think. Um, Definitely. And it, it, yeah, that makes sense. That <laughs> there would be some some tongue twist, which I think is interesting. We'll get into why in some detail, but I think it's interesting that it is hard to literally say this poem because part of what this poem is interrogating, I think is a very hard to describe concept. And it's really cool that the physicality of saying it is as difficult to articulate as the concept underlying the poem is. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like a really neat level at which the poem is working when I try and read it out loud. 
But on a basic level, part of the reason parts of it are hard to read, at least for me, is because you have these really cool sonic moments of like miles of vinyl highways or poor forming birdshell body that are just really, really neat sounding. Oh, well, that, I mean, the sounds are really tight. I mean, in a way, it's perfect coming after um, Blackberry Picking, our last episode, because the, I mean, th those that you mentioned, but like everywhere is just each word is so tight with, um, you know, what come before it, um, round, stunned, plummeted, and dunked, the uh sounds, the n sounds, the m sounds, all my hairs like lungs, thin cilia is wild, but the i at the end in thin cilia and the l's throughout, um, waving in a whir of song, uh, gone back to be begged to be born in a lot of really good alliteration. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just to re-emphasize your point, I mean, it's, it's uh, sonically very tight. Uh, yeah, it's super crisp on a sound level. It's almost like Blackberry Picking ratcheted up because Blackberry Picking has that one line and there's more than one instance of where there's a lot of sounds working, but I feel like most of the lines that are supersonically tight in this poem, which is most of the lines in the poem, are on a level of the top line in Blackberry Picking. The um, I don't remember the exact line, was the boots. Because I feel like there's maybe four lines in this poem that are like that line, whereas that line is the very top level line in terms yeah. of sounds in Blackberry Picking. The line I think you're talking about is where briars scratched and wet grass bleached our boots. That is exactly the line I'm thinking of. Yeah. Thank you very much, Connor. So what was your first reaction to this poem on reading it? Because I know mine was fairly strong, but I'm yeah. curious whether that's a function of where my own feelings about the passing of Aretha Franklin were at that moment, or if it is perhaps something within the poem itself as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely in the poem. I because So Jack found it, and Jack sent it to me and was like, we got to do this one. Um, and I was like, whoa. And I was almost mad initially because I've read Ada Limon. I've read Bright Dead Things. And I never read this poem. Um, and I was furious because I wish that I had a long time ago. In fact, 10 years ago when it was first written. Um, and funny... This also a bit of context, but I saw on Lamone's Twitter, she said, she tweeted this poem um, shortly after Aretha Franklin passed and said, I wrote this 10 years ago, but then said um, that it's sort of about listening to Aretha Franklin for the first time as kind of a young child. Um, and I feel like that that's sort of like where the speaker is and kind of where you are when you're encountering it. But to me, it actually, well, I mean, it resonated with me in a lot of ways. One, I mean, I think you're probably more of a Franklin scholar than I am. Um, but obviously, um, I've just been to a number of weddings and respect is everywhere. Um, and that's just, you know, one of those timeless songs. And it's really, yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough thinking about just that she's not with us anymore because it's sort of always been like a sort of a central fabric of American sonic life. Um, 
and popular culture. She and was such, culture. which is interesting. I think something that's interesting about this poem is that it gets at some of the contradictions of Aretha Franklin, um, which is that she's this fixture of public life, but she herself was an intensely private person, which only then added to the mystique and aura of her existence. So that when she showed up anywhere, it became like, oh my God, Aretha Franklin showed up. Or if she agreed to sing somewhere, she would like agree to sing a song. And then sometimes would just sit down and sing six songs and everybody there would just lose their minds because she was still singing. There's a lot of stories like that about like benefit concerts or special events. There was one where uh, the blues singer Solomon Burke was going to sing and Aretha Franklin was also going to sing. And Solomon Burke was like, I'm only going to do it if she'll sing with me. And Aretha Franklin never got back to them about whether or not she'd do it. And Solomon Burke couldn't really stand for most of his career. He's a very, he's a large gentleman. So they made this like fancy throne seat for him and they wheeled him out in it. Uh, she'd already performed and she left. And so he started doing his performance independent of her. She, they all were like, well, I guess she's not doing it. And then she was standing back in the wings and just started singing along with him. And then I guess walked out and sang a little bit with him. And after the concert, Solomon Burke went to the promoter and was just crying and hugged him and said it was like the greatest moment of his life. And there's another performance of hers that I think is more to the point of what I would like to say about this poem, which is the one that was fairly widely circulated on social media in the wake of her passing. Um, and it began to be circulated when the news of her sort of grave illness began to circulate, which is her performing uh, for Carol King's Kennedy Center honor. And it's the performance that brought the president to tears, Barack Obama, uh, and also Carol King, and just everybody losing their minds. So she comes out, she starts playing the piano, she starts singing, uh, you make me feel like a natural woman. Everybody there has this immediate intense reaction to her. And they're up and Carol King, it's clear she just can't believe that Aretha Franklin like showed up to sing this song that they have both performed. Um, because Carol King wrote the song, Aretha Franklin right. originally performed it. Carol King then did her own version on Tapestry. But that is this really important aspect of who Aretha Franklin was. Because it wasn't just about her talent or what she could communicate with it. And in his statement on her passing and at a couple of other points, Obama spoke very eloquently on the fact that when she sang, she embodied a lot of strains of American history and American popular culture. And uh, she had her own unique singular talent as a singer that has been recognized since very early in her career, since before she was popular. But what was really special about her, particularly later on in her life and career, was the impact that you could see she had on other people when she performed. Their reactions are not as moving as her performance, but add a layer of emotional impact because you can see what this woman has meant to them and continues to mean to them. So the fact that you see Carol King who gets up and is just astounded that this person is there and the president gets up and he's brought to tears by her performance, that adds a whole other layer to who she is and what she means. And I think that is something that this poem captures that is very unique. It's not just about Franklin's talent. It's not just about this unique recording that she made or this special performance that's been captured on the record. It is the intense emotional reaction of the person listening to it that is also captured and that adds a whole other layer to 
what is being described in the poem and how you then come to think and feel about who Aretha Franklin is. She's not just a talented artist. She's a talented artist who can make a 10 year old girl feel this way in her kitchen in anywhere USA. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, one thing that that makes me think of just in terms of how it resonated with me, which is sort of like a bit of a trivial personal aside is in my own writing, I love ekphrastic work. Um, and I love responding to other sort of forms of art. Um, and I sort of consider this poem to be a kind of ekphrastic piece. And you traditionally, ekphrasis is um, a piece of writing that responds to uh, a piece of visual art, um, often a painting of some kind. Um, but I sort of think of it as any kind of um, piece of writing that's responding to um, any other artwork. I mean, I think that's kind of the essential way that it works. And so in this case, responding to a particular song. And I often also do respond to particular songs and, and, and like to write about it. And um, I think it's, it's also, you know, it's interesting because poetry is that sort of awkward medium where it's sort of both oral and it's written um it has a visual element but it's sort of deeply rooted in rhythm uh sound and it has a musicality um and so music itself sort of actual quote-unquote music um i think is probably really important for a lot of poets um and and i think it it's no coincidence that the sounds of this poem become so like important and like um, noticeable in a in a poem that is about another piece of you know aural work whatever sort of similarly one thing that I, I was listening to the the fresh air Terry Gross interview with Aretha Franklin um, which was kind of a funny interview in that Franklin yeah, is very reserved and uh, gave a lot of short answers to um terry gross's question which were sort of interesting in their own way but one thing that that came up a lot was that like songs like respect um or like think um are on the one level and in sort of in their initial writing is sort of a very personal thing about a relationship or something um but then has this sort of deep resonance with some larger moment like the civil rights movement or something like that and that seems to be both just like one of the big legacies of franklin's music is her ability to have these songs sort of do both but then i also started to think about like poems and poetry specifically and i feel like that's also when poems are working at their best which is about like something very small and personal um, like this poem, which is really capturing just a teeny tiny moment of a kid's life listening to one song, having a really intense experience to it. Um, but then at the same time, that sort of small lived experience speaks to something much bigger. Um, and, and I think that's probably why because there's also like a lot of songs that are sort of explicitly political 
Um, and I don't have anything like against them. Um, and obviously when I'm talking about political songs, generally, I can't really say anything interesting because that's like the largest category in the world. But I think the fact that she was able to access the political through the personal in a medium such as music, which is so, you know, like in your bones, um, the way you feel it and, you know, singing from one person to another person is such a relational experience that the way that she got to the political through that, I think is, is a lot of why they were so, are so effective and so sort of like enduring in that way um, and resonant in that sort of political context. Absolutely. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think a version of that dichotomy or that like odd combination of being so personal, but then also becoming political and popular is preserved in the poem. Because as you noted, this is this like really intense, specific personal experience. And you're given several details in the poem uh, that speak to the uniqueness of it, which is that it's this one 10 year old in a kitchen listening to a record. It's a song, like it's very honed down but the experience it's describing is one that the reader may not have necessarily had with Aretha Franklin, but is one that I think many people have with a song or with a work of visual art or film or a TV show where you see it and it just sort of rocks your world basically. And the fact that it describes this, the speaker's specific personal experience is intense and specific, and it's about this Aretha Franklin record, but the experience it's describing, which as I said to you uh, shortly after I found this poem and had said we should do it, um, is like an experience I would have thought is fairly indescribable, uh, is that experience of first encountering an artist who is just reshaping your world with their art. And I think there are elements of what you were discussing where it's like, how do these intensely personal songs find a popular political vein and then become something else. This intensely personal poem sort of mines a vein of popular or not popular, but like more universal experience. So the degree to which it is intensely specific and personal, it then also is almost becoming more universal because you're better understanding that specific experience and then relating maybe your own to it. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and I think, yeah, the poem itself is very interesting and in sort of how it gets that because I totally agree that it's about um, how a song can just like rock your world and just sort of like level you emotionally. There's also another element in the poem that I, that I also think is even harder to get at, but sort of more essential, which is that songs are sometimes like self forming or like aid in the like the way that you learn to identify as a person um just as like a boring example in my own life like in high school when you're like emotional and you have lots of confusing things certain songs just you find them and they're like this this is me for me it's like very embarrassing it's like it's iris <laughs> uh it's some terrible kind of crow songs or something like that very um like emo light style music but at any rate 
it's a thing that not just like sort of makes you feel something very intensely, but it it grounds you and helps you like feel like you can be a person and like sort of know who you are as a person. And in this poem, that is kind of like what's happening. And it happens that I didn't notice it in the first reading, but when I was reading it a few more times, it sort of became evident. So in the very, very beginning, we get a sense of the scale just of the poem, uh, of the song. We get a sense of the scale of the song. Uh, miles of vinyl highway spun out and steady round we went. Um, and so here there's this nice we where it's like the speaker and Aretha are like traveling around this record um, that's spinning, but it's put in these grand terms like a road trip kind of thing, you know, miles of vinyl highway. Uh, it's also that moment when you put the needle to the record where it spins a few times and there's the hiss and there's nothing really playing yet. And it's just totally open possibilities of what the first uh, moment of the song is going to be like, which I feel is captured in that miles of vinyl highway. Everything is expansive and set out before you. Nothing is certain yet. Oh, yeah, that that is really right. Um, yeah. And it does have that kind of. Yeah, I don't know, like uh, I just think of those sort of road trip movies where and it's like by the end of the movie, you know, you're like sort of changed utterly or the, the protagonist is um and it makes me think of i just said this but it makes me think of the end of this yates poem i think it's like easter 1916 or something but it has this refrain where it's like uh all is changed changed utterly or something like that um anyway then there's a strange moment of distance where the first note comes out so the, your first note Boiled over and tough in its tender bends, broke a 10-year-old kneeling on a tile floor in two. Seems to me it's clear that the 10-year-old is the speaker, right? Um, but the way that the poem puts it is the, the speaker is referring to themselves in a dis, in sort of a third person. Um, and so for me, I, I don't like know it yet, but there's that sort of seems to represent some kind of distance between the speaker and their own self in terms of like how they relate to themselves as a person. And then things get slightly closer together as the poem goes on. Um, your record aching um, and then it does something and then um, the sound that seized hold of my poor forming bird shell body who would not even dare dear diva to mouth your silence. So here we have the sound is affecting her. She says, it dunked me, but it's the it's her body that is the thing that is not doing something. So it's like closer in that she's not in third person anymore, but it's not her who wouldn't dare to mouth silence. It's her body that wouldn't dare to mouth silence. And then finally we have me, and which is like such a, uh, surprising and great way to start a sentence, just me, um, I became the shaking speaker. Um, and that's like such a transformative like sentence, you know, I became this thing. And speaker, I feel like has this dual meaning of like the, like a speaker in the sense of actually speaking, which comes right after my body wouldn't dare to mouth your silence. Um, so there's this silence, but then 
suddenly she's able to speak. But then at the same time, the speaker also is the classical way that we refer to uh, a speaker of a poem. And so in that moment, the sort of poem self has been realized or like comes into being. Well, I, mean, I think it's also just the speaker of a stereo, which vibrates to make the sounds that the person's hearing. Oh my God, there's three meanings, Jesus. I know, right? That is the part of the poem where I was already like all the way in and then I just basically fell out of my chair. Because <laughs> so I became good. the shaking speaker, all my hairs like lungs, thin cilia. It's like I am vibrating the way the speaker of the stereo is vibrating, but also it's the speaker of the poem and it's also the speaker in the poem. And it's like, wow, whoa, wow. Wow. I know. I know. I'm I'm always like picking the two least obvious meanings and then it's like but it's also just referring to like the speaker that's in the room, which is like the the normal way that you describe a speaker as a speaker. Ah oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Um You're super no. smart is what you're doing. You're being all insightful and shit. Oh, oh god. my god. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh god, oh god. That is so good and shaking then also especially because it's in jam so it's like i became the shaking line break speaker we have as jack was saying the speakers vibrating but they're shaking also acquires this like you know you're shook you know you're like you're a person but you're like like just moved in a way that you know you can't really comprehend um and so that, that, for me, that's like such a marvelous movement of the poem that's very subtle, where it's not, it's not just sort of this song is like powerful, but it's actually like both, it's like destroys the self in a kind of way where it's like um, broke a 10 year old kneeling on a floor in two. So it kind of is is devastating in that way, but then basically rebuilds the self. It's like a reforming thing. Um, and yeah, I was just, I was bowled over. Also, lungs, thin cilia is literally the craziest, greatest image of all time. It's so good. Um, okay, so for one, cilia, which I thought I knew and I sort of did, but I had to look up. It's like, there's a bunch of different cilii in the body, but in the lungs, in the bronchus, they're this very, very small, they're like little hair-like projections that basically keep the lungs clean and like make sure that there's not like dirt or phlegm in the lungs so you can breathe easily. And if you look at like little microscope videos of them, they're like really small. They're like micrometers in length. They're kind of gross looking, but they like wave like little thingies. Anyway, they're, they're super nasty looking. Yeah, but it's a great image because it's, I mean, it's sort of, it's apt in the most pure way where they look like hair and she's comparing her actual hair to that. But then it's, and that's just like rule number one of good simile. Um, but then it's also perfect because it's the lungs cilia and it's the lung is the room where the sound and the music comes, which is just like so perfect. Um, and then when you think about it, then if you imagine her hair as the cilia in the lungs, she's suddenly inside like a giant lung. 
basically, um, where the music is happening. And she's like, which then by the end, um, the cilia waving, and then she says that I would have gone back and begged to be born in. Uh, and so then the lung has this like womb-like status um, or potential. She wishes it could have been the womb that she was born in almost. But I just love that it's just so many layers. Um, and cilia is, it's just crazy word. Like no one's really using cilia in poems these days as far as I'm aware. Nope. Very, very scientific. It's like when you can do scientific stuff and then it's like the most poetic you're just killing it. You're on fire, straight fire. That's so good. I wrote an acrostic poem that had a scientific thing in it. I I, I did not nail that one at all. Uh, <laughs> not not like this. Not even close. Because this end part, as you said, there is so much condensed meaning in this last sentence that it is nuts. Because you have all right. Me, I became the shaking speaker. We kind of covered that. <laughs> all my hair is like lungs, thin cilia waving in a whir of song. So like. As you said, the lungs, like you're in a lung, but also the lung is how you breathe things in and they become incorporated into your body just as she is beginning to incorporate this new music into herself. And she, the speaker, is then wants to go back and be born into the world of this song. But also the lungs are the mechanism of breathing through which Aretha Franklin is singing. And that's like her special lungs and voice is the main gift that is talked about. And so it's like the lungs, thin cilia uh, that are absorbing air for Aretha Franklin as she's singing this record. So it's another level of connection between the speaker and Aretha. And then that gives you this double meaning of gone back and born in where like, does she want to be born into the lungs of Aretha Franklin? Or is it through the gift that these lungs give that she feels there is a world into which she could have always been born where she always knew of and was a part of this music. It's like crazy. It's so good. It gets better. Okay. Cause all right, here's where I was starting to be like, this is unreal because Jack was like, all right, this poem's so hard to say, da, da, da. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was thinking and I was looking at it again. I thought he was full of shit, but now I'm coming around. Now I'm coming around. Then I was, you know, I was trying to do some close reading and I, I saw a few things. I saw a whir of song, whir, thinking about whir. Then I saw at the very beginning, miles of vinyl highways spun out and steady round we went. Then... Your, your record aching round. And I'm like, okay, this is a 13 line poem. There's the word round that occurs twice. Then there's a were. So now I'm thinking, obviously it's referring to the record that's going round, but there's more. Then I'm thinking, okay, there's literally no line except for the end that is a full stop line. Every line is literally enjammed. Um, and some of them are like brutal, brutal enjambments. In the second line, your first and then line break note boiled over and tough in its tender line break bends. Um, and then here's where I'm really starting to think about it because it's all coming together. In the fifth line, your record aching, then there's a line break round. Stunned, 
plummeted and dunked line break me under a sound that seized hold of my poor forming bird shell body. Okay, so one thing that's crazy here, I'll just go out and say it because basically I think that there's a mimetic form going on right here where the the lines have are using line breaks to achieve a kind of circularity um, where the the sentence has its trajectory and it's trying to go forward and the line break trips it up and makes it go back to the beginning and that is done so many times that the the lines as you read them feel like you're sort of circling around and around that um, is such a good insight it's crazy and i think i it, love it and it, you're so so <laughs> on the money i i love it this poem just keeps getting better it's oh my so God. good because i think especially this part your record aching round stunned plummeted and dunked me this is a very hard to read thing because your your record aching round round is modifying the record right but then stunned, plummeted, and dunked, when you get to the end of the sentence, are transitive verbs that are affecting the speaker, right? That the record is what is stunning her, what's plummeting her, what's dunking her. But the way that the lines are laid out and the fact that it's coming after your record aching round, stunned, when you first read it, um, could easily just be modifying the record again, especially because the sound sounds so similar to round, your record aching ground stunned. So the record could be stunned itself. And plummeted and dunked could also be, it sort of seems like maybe the verb is entering itself, but you don't quite know. And so there's like this really interesting also confusion of the record and the self here, that the sort of line breaks and the 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 weird rotation of the sentence that the line breaks are achieving sort of creates, which I think is perfect for this poem in which the self is sort of being made alongside the song, that the song and the self are sort of like being word basically together into a more like complete astonished self. But I think that particular confusing sentence is like, where it's like the most like dizzying in the way that the syntax is sort of interacting um, with the with the lines. Absolutely. I love that. That's so good. And it's so real. Oh, my God. I have a very small question. Bring it. Which is the part that goes the poor birdshell body who would not even dare dear diva to mouth your silence. Mouth your silence. What does that mean? That also, I wondered about what that might be. And why wouldn't she dare to mouth it? Part of me is like, on the one hand, it's like when you're faced with this awesome singer who's like so good and like on the next plane of goodness, you can't even... Um, you can't even try to do their silence, basically. You're like no match for them. I felt like part of it was that, this kind of like, I am not worthy type vibe. At the same time, I don't know. There seemed to be something perhaps going on 
more with yeah, it. Yeah, it gave me sure. pause because it seemed to be talking about the body, my poor forming birdshell body, who would not even dare, dear diva, to mouth your silence. So it almost seems like it's referring more to the body than the voice. Right. And does that mean that like I was so shocked that I wouldn't even dance along to this? Because I was basically thinking about singing along with or dancing along with something, and you wouldn't necessarily sing along with something the first time you heard it, but that seemed to be the realm that this was getting at. And then because it's followed by me, I became the shaking speaker. It's like, I was so astounded. I was just like, whoa, uh, <laughs> I didn't even, I don't know. Like I, I, I was very moved in the sense of emotionally moved, but I wasn't moving, you know, yeah. or the degree to which I was moving. It was like this involuntary stunned, incredible, like, I don't even know how to, react to this movement of just like what whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. um as opposed to any sort of coherent like bopping along to the groovy jam um, yeah kind of thing uh, and then also as you were saying mouth your silence like i'm not even worthy to try and imitate your pauses you're so good right right i'm also thinking now that you're mentioning that that makes a lot of sense is that if we think about the speaker in the meaning of the actual speaker she becomes that and that is the sound that comes out. So it's like her body isn't going to make the sound. Like she's not going to sing along and make the sound. It's like rather she's just transformed into the the machine that's playing the music. Um, because that's the more pure representation or, or expression of the the music. And that works both for the sense of vocalizing, but also the sense of movement, because the speaker is a physical object, but it's stationary. So yes. it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. All right. I'm into it. The last thing is that I just love poor forming birdshell body, which I know you mentioned earlier. I don't really have much interesting to say about it, except birdshell body is quite a striking way to... Talk about your own body, I guess, as totally. a, bir a bird shell. Um, it's so fragile. Yeah, very fragile. So the first thing I thought of, which is, you know, whatever, uh, is the... Uh-oh. Uh so the first thing I thought of when I read this is a bit of an odd and like not particularly productive reference that I don't think is being made here. But uh, Jim Morrison, in his works of poetry, uh, a line that was then also included in the song Peace Frog during an interlude uh, referred to this experience he had where he was on a trip with his family when he was a kid and he woke up and he saw all of these uh, dead Native Americans on the side of a highway. Accounts differ as to whether he dreamed this or whether it actually happened. Uh, but he was convinced that their uh, spirits had entered him at that point when he was like a little kid. Uh, so he has this line, ghosts crowd a child's fragile eggshell mind. Uh, and I was sort of unavoidably reminded of that, however useless that, that re reference is. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, I, I like that. I like thinking about that. It's definitely probably not. It's music. It's music. There we go. It's, it's music. It's um, music. It's eggshell, like birdshell. That's yeah. about all I got. I think there's yeah. there's no conscious reference to that being made here. I don't think. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, 
Yeah. And I like bird shell body because it doesn't say eggshell. It says bird shell body. So you get both birds who have their hollow, fragile bones and you mm -hmm. get the shell of a bird egg mm -hmm. and the poor forming body, which makes you think of like a flightless young bird that's maybe not really uh, adept at movement. And so you have this like unformed baby bird near the remnants of its eggshell just being birthed into a new world of song. Um, and you also have bird song and songbirds, which is another connection to singing that's going on in the poem. It's another one of those lines that's like not just sonically amazing, but works on about seven to 12 different levels <laughs> as yeah. I begin to think about it in more depth. Yeah. Oh, man. That's too good. Should we read it again? Do you have anything more? I don't. I So there is an Aretha Franklin song, Share Your Love With Me, that seems so close to the title that that's probably a reference. And yeah. the fact that it's Share Your Love With Me and Some Of Your Love With Me. Yeah, and the lyrics um to that song are like, Share Some Of Your Love With Me or something like that. So some exactly. does make it into the song. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have to play clip because that song is so good. Uh, and we have talked about that relationship of the artist and the listener. We talked about it in First Quarantine with Abdel Halim Hafez. And we also talked about it a little bit when we talked about uh, the poem Sentence. And this poem deals with that idea a little bit differently. But if you're interested in that idea and how it shows up in poetry, sometimes we have talked about it before on a couple of previous episodes. Should we read it again? I think we should. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So this is Some of Your Love With Me for Aretha Franklin by Ada Limon. Miles of vinyl highways spun out and steady round we went. Okay, so I just, in reading that line, yeah. highways and spun out like a car spinning out of control. Again, it's like going around and around and you don't really have control over the movement. And it's like more that it's moving you than you're moving it. So even though you have mechanical control over how the record player goes, that record then ends up literally because of how we hear the body moving in the poem but also emotionally it is moving you just the way that a car that spins out would be moving you rather than you normally being in control of its movement on a highway oh my god could go on forever it's all there it's just all it, there it is all there okay try this again for real this time if you get caught up we can stop again you know just go as the spirit moves you Sweet. Oh, I shall. Um, so Some of Your Love With Me for Aretha Franklin by Ada Lamont. Miles of vinyl highways spun out and steady round we went. Your first note boiled over and tough in its tender bends broke a 10-year-old kneeling on a tile floor in two. Your record aching round stunned, plummeted, and dunked me under a sound that seized hold of my poor forming bird shell body who would not even dare, dear diva, to mouth your silence. Me, I became the shaking speaker. All my hairs like lungs, thin cilia, waving in a whir of song that I would have gone back and begged 
to be born in. Hey everybody, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening. This is the part of the show where we tell you all the different ways you can get in touch with us because we love to hear from you. If you have ideas for future episodes, comments on this or any of our past episodes, different readings of poems than the ones that we offered, we want to hear it. Uh, The fastest and easiest way to get in touch with us is on Twitter. The show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn and Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. You can also get in touch with us via email if you have lengthier thoughts. Our email address is closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. And of course, the very best way to stay up to date on the latest close talking happenings is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Uh, We're also available, in addition to iTunes, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next time.